Let me invite you to turn again with me in your copy of God's Word to the New Testament. Our text this morning can be found on uh, page 811 in your pew Bibles. It is Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 19 to 24. Uh, You'll remember last two weeks we were a little out of order in our sermon uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We looked two weeks ago at verses 1 to 18 and sort of these three pillars of Christian piety or what it's like to live in the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, Last week, we narrowed in our focus on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We looked particularly at the idea that we pray uh, to our Father who is in heaven and and everything that flows uh, out of our or into our prayers flow out of that relationship. This morning, we're picking up at verse 19 and Jesus is taking us sort of on another reversal in uh, the book, of, I'm sorry, in the Sermon on the Mount in particular. And this reversal is a focus on our treasures or our desires or where our heart is or where our focus is or what master we serve. Now, Jesus puts these all together. They lead into the verse we're going to see, the section we're going to see next week about anxiety. So our text tonight, uh, this morning, sorry, is verses 19 to 24. Would you follow along with me on your copy of God's Word? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The grass withers, the flower fades, or if our God will stand forever. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, as we come to a convicting text like this, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would warn us of the dangers in this life of treasuring worldly possessions and worldly treasures. But God, even as you unstop our ears to hear those warnings, and as we pray, that brings conviction to our hearts. We pray that you do not leave us there, but you show us the glorious treasures of your kingdom. That you draw our hearts ever heavenward. And that we would leave this place treasuring more and more the things of heaven, the things of you, the things of your kingdom. We pray, O oh God, that in these next couple of minutes, you would unite our hearts to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, there was a viral video craze on the internet went by a number of names. One of the names was called the Loyalty Challenge. Maybe you saw this. Uh, it was when uh, uh, two dog owners would take their dog uh, out in the yard and would run the camera and the, the, the husband and wife or the siblings would stand each on one side of the dog 
And then at, a, at the moment, they would each go sprint in the opposite direction. The goal was to see who the dog loved the most, right? Uh, which way would the dog go? And the videos are they're, they're really cute. The dogs kind of look confused, and then they sort of bolt one way or the other. And if you have a dog in your house, you're probably nodding to yourself because you know who the dog would choose uh, in your house. It's kind of a mean trick, though, isn't it? I mean, what a, what a mean trick to play on a dog uh, to have to choose their loyalties in a moment like that. And dogs have maybe divided loyalties, right, to uh, different ones of their masters. It's a problem not only faced by dogs, right? See, we have a spiritual problem of a divided heart, don't we? And there's a sense in which God puts his people, his children, through what we might call a, a loyalty challenge, right? God shows us our spiritual problem of divided loyalties. You know the story from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. There's a prophet named Elijah, and he is confronting uh, other prophets, the prophets of Baal, because the people of God are going between these two different worldviews, these two different gods, these two different spiritual directions. And Elijah comes and he says to the people of God in convicting words, he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping between God and Baal, the false gods that you are so tempted to worship. Now, this is not a problem that was just faced in the Old Testament, right? This is a problem faced by us today. We, as the children of God, have a very real spiritual problem. We don't always know which direction we would go in the loyalty challenge, do we? And so Jesus comes to his hearers in Matthew chapter 6, and he comes to his followers, and he, he addresses our divided heart with the message that he himself will unite our hearts, right? He will, by his grace, put to death more and more the, the side of us that follows the things of the world. And by his grace, more and more he will build and grow and strengthen and nourish the side of our hearts that loves and desires the things of God. The way that Jesus goes about doing that in our text this morning is by warning us of the dangers of a divided heart. He warns us what will happen if we continue down a path of a divided heart. Or to, to summarize the sermon in a sentence, it's this. Jesus unites our hearts to follow him by warning us of the dangers of a divided heart. He unites our hearts to follow him by warning us of the dangers of a divided heart. So here's my outline this morning is to show you the three dangers of a divided heart. In our passage this morning, there are three dangers in a divided heart. First, verses 19 to 21, is the divided heart stores up the wrong treasures. A divided heart stores up the wrong treasures. Look back with me at uh, verse 19. Uh, here we see the warning, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And you see that verb, that action to lay up. That could also maybe it's translated in your Bible as store up, right? To put aside, to save maybe. 
Now, literally, the word in the original language can also be translated treasure. It can be translated as the verb to treasure, right? To treasure something. So we could actually translate verse 19, do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. But, verse 20, treasure for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you treasure something? Uh, Well, in, in the day that Jesus is addressing, to treasure was to take one's riches and literally to lay them up by burying them. Right? So the safe place, they didn't have a you know, a secure bank vault downtown that they could take their riches to. The safest place they could find is to bury them in the ground. So they took whatever was most precious to them, what was most valuable, their riches and their treasures, and they would hide them, they would bury them. Now, most of us aren't digging holes, right, in our living room uh, to hide our physical treasures in, but we do lay them up, don't we? We do store them up. We stock them away. And even more than our literal physical treasures, Jesus is getting to the truth that there's a spiritual meaning behind this. And that is that everyone treasures something. Everyone treasure. I might say, everyone treasures more than just one something. We treasure multiple things. We treasure multiple people. What Jesus is calling us to ask of ourselves this morning, very bluntly, is the question, what do you treasure? What do you treasure? Or change the question, who do you treasure? You see, he gives us two options in these verses. Uh, He gives us two types of treasure that we can lay up. Uh, The first type are treasures on earth. Uh, This is physical treasure, right? This is financial treasure. Uh, You know, again, the differences in our day is, you know, most of us don't have all that much physical money, right? We have numbers on a website, (laughs) or we have numbers on a monthly statement that's mailed to us so that we sort of know how much or how little we have, but it is still physical, financial treasures on earth. What What is Jesus warning us about these treasures on earth? Well, there's some pretty big problems with earthly treasure. Problem number one, moth and rust destroys that treasure. And that sort of tells us we're not only talking about money. What does moth destroy? Moth destroys, moths destroy clothes and fabric. And even just like today, even back then, there were simple clothes and there were nice clothes, right? There were cheap clothes and there was elaborate clothing to show off how much you paid or how much you were worth. No matter what the cloth, it is susceptible to being attacked by a moth and destroyed. Rust, attacking metals, precious metals. And so we're looking here at clothes, metal, material, possessions do not last. I mean, you, you know that, right? I mean, how many of you spent X number of dollars on the latest iPhone and then six months later, it's obsolete, (laughs) But you have to get the, the latest, the newest gadget, right? Think that's how technology works in our day, right? It's almost designed to fail in a couple of years, so you've got to get the next thing. Physical, material treasures on earth, they don't last. They're not secure. The second problem is that thieves can break in and steal them. No matter how good a lock system you have, no matter how many cameras that you have installed No matter how secure the bank that you save your money in, no earthly treasure is safe. 
mean, you know this, sort of the, the more people get earthly riches and treasures, the harder they work to keep it safe, right? The more fences they put up, the more security systems they have, the more they diversify their investments to keep them from hopefully not failing, right? No matter how hard we try, no earthly treasure is safe. So Jesus gives us the second option is to store up our treasures in heaven. There's a lot to say about this, but Jesus' point here is the treasures in heaven are safe. They can't be destroyed. They don't deteriorate. They don't rust away. They're not eaten up by moths. They can't be stolen. The most secure bank, if you could put it this way, in the universe is the bank of heaven. And so Jesus is giving us almost a practical advice. Some sort of fatherly warning and care. Hey, don't put your deposits over there. Put your deposits over here. Because even more than our treasures being lost or secure is this final line of this first section, verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's not reiterating the point. He's actually making an additional point. That your heart is tied up with your treasure. Wherever that treasure is, that's where your heart will be. There is a a song, an old song called I Left My Heart in San Francisco, right? You know this song. I left my heart somewhere. Your heart is somewhere, right? Your heart maybe is in your mom and dad's house where you grew up, right? It's maybe in your favorite part of town. It's maybe in the mountains or at the beach, right? You know what it means to have your your heart somewhere. But here's the danger. Where your treasure is, your heart is tied to that. And so if your treasure is unsafe, if your treasure is liable to being destroyed or rotting away or rusting or being stolen, what does that mean about your heart? It means your heart is never secure. It means your heart is never safe. It means that you are, as Jesus will go on to tell us in verse 25, that you are anxious about the things of this world. You're anxious about all of your physical treasures because they are unsafe. Because they are not secure. Because they're liable to destruction and rusting away and being stolen. Here's a very serious and a very real root of all of our anxiety. The root is that we have our treasure in all the wrong places. God tells us the only safe place for our treasure. God tells us the only safe place for our treasure is in heaven. The only place that our treasure cannot be touched or rotted away or destroyed or stolen or eaten up by moths is in the kingdom of heaven. And so he is warning us, he's calling us, he's advising us, he's challenging us to save up our treasure in heaven. How do we do that? John Stott summarizes it best. He says, treasure and heaven are temporal activities with eternal consequences. Treasure and heaven are temporal activities with eternal consequences. Temporal things we do in this life, right? things in this day and age, things you do today that don't have consequences for today. They have consequences in heaven. They have eternal consequences. 
So maybe a good diagnostic question for us this morning is how do you treasure the things that you treasure? How do you store up the things that you store up? And a very, a very real question to figure this out is how do you use your money? Now, I know as a preacher, I'm not really supposed to talk to you about money, but Jesus does. So we're going to go there. Jesus compares later on earthly and heavenly treasures, and earthly treasures are material, and they are summarized as mammon, or translated here as money. You can look at how you use your money, and it tells you something, not everything. It tells you something about what you treasure, doesn't it? I mean, this is, we're in tax season. Some of you are already done, right? You're, the, you're those good students that turn everything in ahead of time. Some of you are scrambling. Is it really April already? <laughs> you look at your taxes, and they tell you a little bit about what you treasure, don't they? The application here is, is not that we have to account for every last dollar and cents that tells us exactly where our treasure is. It's, this is deeper than that. There's more to that than what Jesus is teaching, but there's not less than that, right? It's a very good diagnostic tool to look at our taxes, our checkbook, our monthly returns. And that tells us a little bit about where our treasure is. And the warning he gives, if your treasure is in the wrong place, it is not safe. And that's where your heart is, and so your heart is not safe. Your heart is anxious. Your heart is overwhelmed. Your heart is worried. So the divided heart, number one, stores up the wrong treasures. Number two, we see in this passage, the divided heart sees through the wrong lens, verses 22 to 23. You see, treasure, as we see throughout God's word, appeals to our eyes, doesn't it? We see in the garden uh, with Adam and Eve, the appeal of the physical, the allure of the eyes. And so here Jesus gives us a second metaphor, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, This metaphor of the eye letting light into the body. I mean, light doesn't come into your mind, to your understanding. Physical light, unless you have eyes that are working and can, can see I think maybe a, a, a parallel for us today is the idea of a, a sunlight on a house. Right? You get the sunlight that lets literally the light into the room. So you can imagine a room with no lights and no windows, but a sunlight is its only source of light. And if the, the sunlight is, is clear and clean, the light could come in. But if over time the sunlight becomes uh, dirty, corroded, less and less light will come into the room. So Jesus is telling us the the eye, if it is healthy, then the body has light. But if the eye is bad, if it is unhealthy, then the body has no light. Then the body cannot see. Then the body is in darkness. Of course, the metaphor is spiritual darkness. If the eye is not working right, if the skylight is so dirty that light is not allowed in, then the rest of the body is in spiritual darkness. So let's take it a step further. When Jesus and other authors in the Bible use this idea of of eye or setting an eye on something or fixing your eye on something, the parallel to that is often the heart. 
So very much we can read in these metaphors of the eye, we can read about the heart. And so to fix your eyes on something is to set your, your heart on something. Right? It's what are your goals in life? Where does your attention go? What are your aims? What are your priorities? What are your ambitions? All of these are synonyms for the idea of setting your eye or your, your heart on something. You've heard it said before that phrase, you know, she has an eye for design or something, right? He has an eye for, uh, for architecture, right? Uh, someone, you might say, has an eye for riches. You might say uh, someone who knows gems and stones has an eye for the real or the counterfeit. Maybe some of you like to go to antique shops or garage sales, Right or estate sales, and you have an eye for the treasures versus the junk. Right, you could look at a dozen chairs at a garage sale, and you could know which one you could make a lot of money off of at the antique shop. Right, you have an eye for treasure. Jesus is asking if you have an eye for heaven. Do you have the discernment to recognize? the value God places on some things in life and not on others. Because if your eye is clouded, then you have no idea. Right? You're, you're, you're mixing up the things that God values and the things that he doesn't. And we've all been there. The eye is sort of the, the discerning organ that recognizes that which God loves, we love. And that which God values, we value. We can look at our own lives and wonder, are the things that our Father treasures the same things that I treasure? Are the things that He prioritizes the same things that I prioritize? How is your spiritual vision? Let me give you an example of what this looks like in practice. Uh, Jesus, in His life, had uh, two friends, you know them, named Mary and Martha. They were sisters. And he went to their village once, and he went to their house for dinner. And Mary, one of the sisters, sat at the Lord's feet, and she listened to everything he had to say. Martha was busy and serving, and the Bible tells us she was distracted with much serving. And she comes to Jesus, and she complains and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And listen to Jesus' answer. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Or, if we could paraphrase the words of our Lord, Martha, your treasure is on earth. (laughs) Mary's treasure is in heaven, and it will not be taken away. Mary had the, the healthy eye that saw what God treasures where Martha's eye was clouded. This is not a rebuke that Martha can't be a Christian. No, this is, this is all of us, isn't it? We know there are days and seasons when we have crystal clear spiritual eyesight. And there are days and seasons where our vision is woefully clouded and we are filled with darkness. Mary and Martha in that moment had different masters that they saw to serve, didn't they? That's the problem when our eyesight isn't working. We serve the wrong master. And I want you to see that in our third point. 
The third danger of a divided heart is that a divided heart serves the wrong master. A divided heart serves the wrong master in verse 24. This metaphor is clear for us. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The point here is loyalty. It is exclusive loyalty. It's that brutal video where the dog has to choose uh, between mom and dad, right? You can only go one direction, right? You can only serve one. And Jesus Wonderful image because we, some of us have two jobs, right? We have multiple jobs. We have two employers, right? We have two teachers or multiple teachers uh, during the day at school. But a, a slave and a servant only has one master. There's no other option. And only one master can be served. The same for us today, right? We have lots of roles, lots of bosses, lots of authorities in our lives. We only have one master. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the truth here is that everyone serves someone or everyone serves something. You've heard the the phrase, the almighty dollar. You ever thought about that phrase? We use it in our culture to refer to sort of that's the the final authority as a business owner, right? It's most important than anything else. It's to make sure that we make the money or we make our stockholders proud or whatever it is, right? That's religious language. The almighty dollar? There's only one almighty and that's the Lord. But the truth is everyone serves someone, but we can't serve more than one. And so here's the the real danger that Jesus points to. The danger is that when one master is served and loved, the other is hated and despised. When our loyalties come into conflict, we must choose one to serve. And the Christian who has allowed the love of the world to take root and to grow and to bear fruit into his or her heart is led down the path to hating God. It's a subtle path. It might be a slow path. But Jesus warns us you can't serve to masters and his strongest question is saved for this final metaphor and that is who is your master or who do you serve as he goes through these warnings he is showing us time and time again that these false gods are empty there's nothing there it's the same strategy that Elijah used back in 1 Kings in his battle between the gods when he told the prophets of Baal to make an offering to their god and see if he came down and consumed it in fire and accepted that offering. And you know the story? He didn't. It's a great mockery. He was silent. So Elijah prepares his own offering, a competition of the gods. Before he offers it, he prays this prayer. He says, answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you are Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. See, they're limping back and forth. And the prayer of Elijah, it is my prayer as your pastor this morning, that God would turn your hearts back. 
And not only back from the wrong treasure and the wrong lens and the wrong master, but he would turn you back to himself because he is the right treasure. Our treasures are to be in heaven. What has Jesus just taught us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven. Where is Jesus going after his ministry on earth? He's going to the cross. He's going to the tomb. He will be raised from the dead. He will ascend into heaven. God our Father is in heaven. Jesus our Savior and Redeemer is in heaven. That's where our treasure is. That's where our heart is. And he is incorruptible and unchangeable. Therefore, our hearts rest in him secure. He is the right lens. Jesus exposes to us our worldly vision. You know what our worldly vision says? Our worldly vision says, blessed are those who are rich. Blessed are those who are victors. Blessed are those who are healthy. Blessed are those who are powerful. Blessed are those who are confident and on and on and on. And Jesus comes and he turns that upside down. He says, that's the the dark lens. That doesn't work. And he shows us that he is the blessed man. And that his ways are the path to blessing. That's why he starts his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He gives us the right lens through which to judge and pursue the right treasures. And of course, he is the right master, isn't he? He is the gracious master. Because mammon, that old word, or property, or money, or earthly treasures, that's a harsh master and a harsh lord. You see, earthly treasures, they keep demanding everything from us. They're never satisfied, right? Have you ever asked yourself the question, how much money is enough for me? You all have the same answer, no matter how rich or poor you are. Your answer is the same as my answer. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. (laughs) Just a little bit more, and that'll be enough. It never stops. The master of earthly treasure demands everything and gives nothing to us. But Jesus is the gracious master. He demands nothing and he gives everything. The word of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You hear the invitation of our savior, not give me just a little bit more. But come and I will give you everything. This is the free offer of the gospel of our Lord. That he has done it all. He has accomplished it all. He demands nothing more of us. That we would lay down and surrender and believe. The the master mammon says come and work. Lord Jesus says come and rest. The psalmist And Psalm 86 says it best when he prays, O Lord, unite our hearts to fear your name. The end of that story in 1 Kings, most of you know it, when Baal is not to be found. And then it's Elijah's turn and he prays and then God's 
fire falls and consumes the burnt offering. And here's the result. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. No more limping back and forth. Paul says the same thing in Romans 7. When he is weighed down with his own divided heart. He longs to long for the things of heaven. But he can't quite stop also longing for the things of the world. And he concludes in desperation. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, if the gospel is, y'all just need to get your act together and love Jesus enough, then you'll be good. Not even Paul could do that. He looked at his own heart. He said, there is no hope if it's based on my ability to love God enough. He concludes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, we're not saved because of a united heart. We are saved from a divided heart. Our fallen hearts are divided, but our Savior's heart is pure. Delight yourself in him, and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Let's pray. Lord, you know us all too well. You know this very morning how our own hearts have been limping back and forth, maybe during this very sermon. Lord, you know our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Lord, you know that we want to want you. We long to long for you. And yet, so often we cry, wretched man that I am. Oh, Lord, we praise you this morning that you save sinners. That you save those who don't love you back enough. Because you are good. And because you are faithful. And because your heart is not divided towards us. Is always and forever set upon your children. And in that we rejoice and we come to you. And we pray, oh God, that you would unite our hearts to fear your name. For it is in this precious name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn of response.